Today on Growing Through Grace. The wages of sin is death. So no matter what plan you have, you really can't get out of the kingdom of darkness on your own. God had a plan and provided a way whereby you could change kingdoms. You're listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jack Abelan of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. And as we begin a new week, we'll get back to our ongoing studies through the book of Acts. Today, Pastor Jack will take us to chapter 19, verses 8 through 20, and the continued account of Paul in Ephesus as he stays true to his commitment in ministry and goes to the synagogue first to reason with the Jews. Let's join our teacher for this study that's titled, God's Prevailing Word Builds the Church. Here's Pastor Jack. Acts chapter 19, verse 8, where we read, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning, persuading, concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, speaking evil of the way, before the multitude, he departed from there, withdrew his disciples, and reasoning together, daily in the school of Tyrannius, and this continued for two years, so that everyone who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both the Jews and the Greeks. When Paul got back a year after he had stopped here on the way home, there had been open arms to receive him. It does seem from verse 8 that when he got back, that door was still open. So Aquila and Priscilla's ministry there with the Jews during that time that Paul was gone was certainly not as bold or in your face as maybe you, you'd normally see Paul preaching. They laid a good foundation. They seemed to limit their ministry to individuals and not so much kind of the preaching to the crowds. And even as you go back to chapter 18, verse 26, you know, they, they, they took this fella from the synagogue away from there and Apollos and they began to teach him more clearly. So when Paul showed up for three months, he had an open door, which by the way, at least from standards of the book of Acts is a long time. Paul usually could blow himself out in two weeks, right? Yes, you're not ever, ever welcome back. Okay. That's pretty much how the way he operated. But for three months, Paul had an opportunity to minister and people were getting saved. And, and notice what we, we read in, in particular, Paul boldly reasoned and persuaded those in the synagogue regarding the kingdom of God. In the Bible, the, the words kingdom of God is a very broad biblical term that, that is usually just a reference to a place that God rules, where he sits upon the throne, where his subjects obey him and bow before him. You can, you can find the, the beginnings of that, if you will, early in the book of Genesis, where the Lord said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let him have dominion over the sea and the birds of the air and all. And God established a kingdom upon the earth over which he was the Lord. And his people were his subjects. And until sin entered the picture, that kingdom of God was, was readily seen and Adam and Eve were placed into it. But when sin came and disobedience against God and to his word, death and sin entered the picture, suffering and sickness and all. But man, 
transfers himself willingly out of the kingdom of God, the place he was invited to be, where God made him. And he is placed into the kingdom of Satan, the one who runs this world, the kingdom of darkness. There's a prince over the world, and it's the devil. Since that day and, and since that fall, every person is born a sinner. And every person is born into the kingdom of darkness because of sin. By sin, one of one man, death entered the world, and sin came into everyone's life. Since that day, man has tried a lot of different ways to change kingdoms. We, we usually call kingdom changing religion. By that I mean, you know, religion are man-made rules that man applies to himself in some form or another, and then presents to God in the hopes that he's grading on the curve. If I can just get in, like 50%. And that's what religion does. It's, it's man-making rules, seeking to perform them to the best of his ability, and then offering them to God as some kind of a, a peace deal where, you know, you forgive me and I talk to you and everything's forgotten. It doesn't work that way. And the problem with it is the wages of sin is death. So no matter what plan you have, you really can't get out of the kingdom of darkness on your own because sin brings a punishment or a reward with it. God fortunately for all of us, had a plan and provided a way whereby you could change kingdoms, where you could actually come and enter in, if you will, to the kingdom of God. When Jesus is, is speaking there to the disciples in John chapter 10, he said, no one can enter the sheepfold. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold through the door is a thief and a liar and a robber. And he spoke of himself, that the only way to get back into the kingdom of God was through Christ, pointed to himself. To him, the door of the sheepfold is open. The doorkeeper opens it. The sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name. They follow him. And he, he presented himself to us as the door back into the sheepfold where God rules. And you and I, when we got saved, we we, we repented of our sin. God took us out of the kingdom of darkness, placed us into the kingdom, of the Bible says, of his dear son, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of hope, where he rules supreme. And God moved into your heart, and you now become a subject of God. You're a, a subject, a, a child of the king. You're born again. This kingdom of God is, is promised throughout the Old Testament. There are those promises that you will continually read of how God would bring one to sit upon the throne of David who would rule there forever. Yet when Jesus came, announced by prophecy, announced by forerunner that the prophet said would come, a king was born in, Jer in, in Bethlehem, he was rejected by the nation. They, they didn't embrace him. They will the next time, but they didn't that time. And, and because of God's grace and mercy, and obviously knowing what was coming. The kingdom of heaven went underground in the sense that God established his kingdom, not upon the earth yet, that will come, but in the hearts of men. So when Jesus said there in John, or, or I guess Luke 17, you've heard of the Holy Spirit, he's with you, he's going to be in you, that new birth places us in, in, into the lordship of Christ, and, and we become his servants, if you will. And, and what, what did what do we read there in the New Testament? Well, this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we don't yet see his kingdom outwardly. We will, but right now you're in the kingdom of God. You're, you're living by his rules and bowing your knee to, to his authority and following his words and relying upon his grace. 
the kingdom of God. And Paul came to preach about the kingdom of God. But the only thing he could have preached in that regard was a new birth and the need to be saved. When you pray as Jesus gave that example to the, in the disciples' prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that's really a prayer for the Lord to come and establish his kingdom upon the earth which will happen when you and I have been raptured and when after the, the tribulation, the Lord will return to rule for a thousand years upon the earth and you'll rule with him. And then you read things like, well, he'll restore everything and every knee will bow and every Old Testament prophecy will be fulfilled. But for, for now, the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Mercia, surely I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see nor can you enter the kingdom of God. Because that's the way that the relationship with God works today for all of us. We come to Christ. We receive him. He now dwells in us. So for, for three months, Paul got an ear from these Jews at the, at the synagogue, and he was just telling them like it was. And, and you, you know, the, the old Paul would, would preach, man. He, he had answers. He was, he was anointed, and, and he was dynamic. And for three months, the crowd allowed him to speak about the the, the way of God, the kingdom of God, faith in Christ. Over time, and not that much time, some folks got tired of hearing him, began to refuse what Paul had to say, began to vocally spoke, speak evil. Notice what we read here in verse 9. Evil of, the, of that way of life. They, they did it before the multitude. They, they weren't just arguing with Paul in, in a coffee shop somewhere. They were calling him out in public. It was now a public dispute, and Paul didn't really want much of that. It's not really the way the Lord works. Some were hardened, withdrew themselves, and didn't want anything to do with it. So we read here in verse 9, he departed from them and withdrew his disciples with him and began to reason every day in the school of Tyrannius and, and would stay there for another two years. Some were hardened there in verse 9. The word hardened, this is the only place that it is used. The word in various forms is found in the Old Testament as well. For example, when the Pharaoh willfully denied the, letting the Lord go, uh, Lord's people go, when he deliberately uh, stood against what was convincing and absolutely irrefutable evidence that God was with the children of Israel, he said, I'm not letting you go. I don't care who your God is. You'll, you'll find this word being used. God, he, it says he hardened him, his heart, and then we read that God set him in the place of his choosing. He hardens himself to what God has to say. God then hardens his position. He gives him what he has been asking for. He hardens his choice. There, there's that scripture in, in, in John 12 where it says the Lord did many signs before them and they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah might be fulfilled which was said, who would believe our report, who, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed and then says, and then they could not believe. And so they went from they would not believe to they could not believe. So here is the same picture. God made his way abundantly clear. People had a great opportunity to think it through, plenty of time to consider the promises, decided they didn't want anything to do with it, and God hardened them in their position. God gave them what they wanted. That's not a good thing. It's not always such a good thing to get what you want from God. But you find the same thing with Pharaoh. You find the same thing in John 12. You find the same thing here. You go from, from will not believe to could not believe. And there is that place that you can get to where God just gives you what you say you want. At this point, Paul does something that he has done before. He leaves the synagogue. He doesn't want trouble. Not really out to push anybody's buttons. 
And so, as he had done in Corinth, he moves away. This time, he rents a lecture hall from a man who was in town. He met daily with his disciples. He taught them and answered fully their questions. He reasoned with them daily. That's what that word reason means. He gave them reasonable answers, if you will, reasonable explanation for his faith. It was common, at least in the Greek culture of Paul's day, that the lecture halls, which taught mostly philosophy, were open from 11 to, uh, 7 to 11 every morning and 4 to 9 at night every night. And that from 11 to 4 was like the afternoon. A lot of countries even today, they kind of shut down in the, in the afternoon. People eat, they take a nap, whatever. Uh, so it does seem, from all that we read, that, that Paul may have rented this, this school of Tyrannius during the siesta time. He bought the place or rented the place during those, those hours between 11 and 4 and gathered with his students or teachers or parents or whoever they might have been because everyone kind of shut down at the same time. He, he took his lunch hour, if you will, extendedly so, to teach. We know from chapter 20, which we'll get to next, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as well, that Paul said the entire time that he was in Ephesus, he worked as a tent maker. When we were on our Footsteps of Paul tour this last year, we, we saw the, the marketplace and where all the, the vendors would sit. And it could easily have been that Paul was in one of these storefronts, maybe on a corner where he could have got a lot of business. So, so understand that from Paul's standpoint, he was in Ephesus for a total of three years, but he was working every day. He would go out in the afternoon and, and teach. He'd bring his Bible. He'd meet with folks. He had a full-time tent-making job probably with Aquila and Priscilla, since they were there as well. They were in the same kind of job. And then he devoted himself every afternoon, seven days a week, to the teaching and the evangelism of the city. As a result, this young church began to grow, and it began to flourish, and, and their extent became unbelievable. It, it, we, we read in, in verse 10 that all who dwelt in Asia over that two years would hear the word of Jesus, whether you were a Jew, whether you were a Greek, can you imagine that, that one man's willingness to spend his, his, his lunch hour and his weekends, if you will, preaching the gospel would touch an entire country? Let's put it in terms we can understand. We've been here 30-some years. Has all of Whittier heard the gospel because we're here? And if not, what can we do? Or La Habra, or Brea. Help us, Lord, is what we can pray. <laughs> I mean, Paul, his ministry was such that it wasn't hyperbole to say everyone had heard about Jesus. And it came from this little schoolhouse that was rented on the off hours as Paul met with these folks day in and day out. We read in verse 10, they continued for two years, and everyone who dwelt there had heard. Imagine the, the schedule that Paul must have had to keep. Now, I don't think it's much different than um, the Sunday school teachers tonight are doing teaching your children. You know, we have people in our Sunday school that have been there over 20 years teaching the kids. Their kids are now in the class that they were from. That's a long time, right? The folks that, that we have in our church that go to the uh, convalescent homes on Sundays, we just inherited a new convalescent home. They just open the doors, could you please come every week? And we say, well, we don't know if we have the people. And within weeks, now we have the people. And God just raised up a, a bunch of folks. But these folks all work for a living, right? And yet they spend their, their ministry time regularly, free time of theirs, making the most of what God has given them. The folks that go to our prisons, 
they go on their own dime at their own time, and it takes time. They have to qualify and go through background checks and, and show up and sometimes wait on guards who are just not all that excited to see you always, and yet the Lord continues to raise them up. I, I like Paul's example that ministry without excuse, with diligent work, can, can have a huge impact. You know, full-time ministry with a full-time workload, that's an amazing thought. And, and as Paul taught, and when we get to chapter 20, when he meets with these leadership people on his way really back home for the last time, or he thinks, he'll not see them again, he, he was able to say to these leaders in this church, you remember how for three years with tears I taught you the entire counsel of God. I kept back nothing from you. Paul was, was devoted to making sure that the, that the leadership and the people in the church knew the Bible well. Knew them well. He would say, I taught you the full counsel of God's word. I taught you day and night. I taught you from house to house. I taught you publicly. To get a little feel for how this all worked in Ephesus, if you look forward in history when Paul is arrested in Rome, in Caesarea even, and he is kept from, from traveling, he sends Timothy to pastor the church here in Ephesus. Later on, John the Apostle, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, those little book, books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, as well as the gospel in your Bible, he would follow Timothy to the pulpit in Ephesus. When John died, a fellow named Polycarp, who was a 1st century pastor disciple of John would come and take the church in Ephesus. The church has this long history of godly men and godly work and just an amazing history of what the Lord began just because Paul was willing to take his, his afternoon break and sit with people and tell them God, what God had to say. You know, if you ever think that, gosh, I don't know what to do, just teach the Bible to someone. Share God's word with someone. Look at the power in God's word. It, it ends in, in verse 20 saying, it's the Lord's word that grew and prevailed. Ephesus is, is, the, is the demonstration of a faithfulness of a few folks to the Word of God and the changes that it brought. It, it really is a living example. And like I said, if you go to on one of those trailers of Paul's footsteps, and maybe after we get back from Israel, we'll try to plan another one. It is the most amazing, uh, amazing, you get goosebumps walking up down the streets of the ruins of Ephesus, the, you know, the amphitheater that's there. And it's, just a, it's just ridiculous. Just, my goodness. And here Paul sat and, and every day taught God's word. Forty years from now, from where we are in our book, Jesus would write a letter to this church. And you find it in, in Revelation chapter 2, the first seven verses. But he would say to this church 40 years down the road that it had become a machine. It was doing all of the things right. They were growing, they were powerful, they were noticeable, they accomplished much. However, the Lord says... My problem with you is you are no longer motivated by your love for me. You're now just accomplishing many things. It's almost like a routine. That's not the way it is here. Paul, in the love that he had for the Lord, gave God's word out and the church began to flourish. But a generation that followed inherited a work that, that their hearts weren't engaged with as it was with Paul. You find that in most churches. You know, most revivals never last more than 50 years, even historically, in all the history of man, as long as we've been keeping records. And the reason is, there's a generation where, that God speaks to and everyone gets on board, and they know the Lord personally, and they respond to him in love. And then they're handed a church or a work from people who experience God, and they take all of the success. And they say, well, now we'll run the place. But they don't have, they never paid the bills. You know, they never had the, the suffering. They never were on their faces. They never fasted and cried out. They didn't have to, they, they didn't cost them anything. 
And so the second generation takes, but they don't really... It's kind of like inheritances, you know? You can, you can have a father that, that kills himself making it and hands you money, and you go, yeah, I'll spend that. It's not kind of the same heart. Same thing with revival. So this church, as well as, as it began, as, as good a leadership as it was given, the Lord, in, in, in Revolution chapter 2, said three things to them. He said, I want you to remember from where you've fallen. Go back to where you started. Second of all, repent. There's three R's. Remember, repent, turn around, and then he said, return to your first love, or I'll take the church away. Come back to doing it the way that you started, and certainly I can bless. When Paul will leave this church several years down the road after he leaves and then comes back, he will warn them about what is coming to them and what the church is going to face. He believes it's the last time he's going to be there. And he warns them about the, the wolves that will come in from within and try to devour it and all. But look at verse 10. What a, what a fruitful time this church ministry. And Paul got to stay. He stayed here longer than anywhere, right? This is, this is about as rooted as he gets. Even his home church he didn't seem to spend this much time in. And his zeal for God's word, his love for the lost, his confidence in what God has said, it transferred over to his disciples. And so... These men go out from this place, and Ephesus becomes the center of church planting. In fact, all of those churches in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 2 and 3, are probably came out of this church in one direction or another. The Colossi church, the Hierapolis church. You'll find them mentioned, but they came out of a group of people that at least initially were meeting over here at this, at this house or this school in these school rooms. And can you imagine? The gospel is seen and heard. The churches are planted. The hearts are stirred. Ministries begin. All because there's a guy that's willing to teach the Bible without shame. And when he's persecuted, he just moves along. He doesn't stay to argue in public. He just moves along and teaches the people that want to hear him. Narrative. Verse 11 tells us something interesting. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out from them. I guess I would have you mark the word unusual. Because even in the narrative, Luke said, this isn't a way God worked usually. This is unusual. But in a city that was bound to the occult, and we will certainly read that before we finish tonight, God did something that probably the occult people needed to see to move themselves towards the things of God. God uses whatever it takes to get you to where he needs you to be. And that this, with the occult and all the weird stuff that comes with the devil worship and all, God made himself stick out. And, and this was certainly a way to do that. However, don't expect this to happen in your life. It rarely happened in the Bible. The word handkerchief here is the word for headband or sweatband. The word for apron is the, just that. It's either a linen or a leather apron were for working, and, and probably leather if Paul was using it to knit together tents and all. So I, I love the picture because I, I imagine, I, I got a goofy idea in my mind a lot of times. But I always, you know, I, I imagine Paul returning to work after the break and his clothes are gone again. Where's my apron? Oh, they took it down the road, man. Some guy was really sick. And my sweatband was full of sweat, you know. Yeah, the guy wanted it, his legs were. Really? I, I, I thought to myself, you have to be a, a, a rather, rather mature man of God to be able to be used by the Lord like this and maintain your balance. 
And with that thought, we'll stop there for today and pick up the balance of Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 20, the next time we're together. This has been the first half of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelin. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3074. That's always helpful for us to know the radio station that you're listening to, so be sure to mention those call letters when you get a hold of us. The same challenges that seek to hinder the church today were common in the Corinthian church back in Paul's day. In his letters to the Corinthians, he addressed such issues as politics, immorality, lawsuits, marriage, worldliness, and spiritual gifts, just to name a few. In working through these timely books, Pastor Jack analyzes Paul's biblical answers to each of these problems in light of today's church. And we're offering Pastor Jack studies through both the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians from our Know the Book series on MP3. They're available in either CD or USB format. So if you'd like to order the 1st and 2nd Corinthians MP3 or to get today's study, simply dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all kinds of other things available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. And that's going to wrap up our time together today. We do thank you for being with us. So until next time, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach.